0: What defines a family? Is it the people we're related to? The people we live with? The people we laugh and dance with? Or the people who know us best? What if a family is more than that? More than just our parents and siblings? What if it's not just the bloodline that connects us to our by the community that helps shape our future. A family that values experiencing the wholeness only found through Jesus. A family that will be known for expressing love and truth, embodying radical hospitality, and a common vision to see the whole community be whole in Christ. I had a good visit with my parents on the phone this week. And some of you are like, yeah, so what? That, we don't do that a whole lot. I, I'm not a phone guy. I, I like to see the people I'm talking to. So, like in person, or even I would generally prefer a Zoom call over a phone call so I can see your face. I, I just, that's a personal thing. Might not relate to you. But uh, we talked for almost an hour this week on the phone and, and just kind of had a good visit and reminisced about some stuff that was important. Uh, to our family and I I had a few thoughts later and so I I followed up with a text message and I just I asked my parents like if you could describe our family values what would you say that they are my dad was the first one to respond and he said probably truth and grace and humor and I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of my family growing up. We, we, we didn't always get it right. Uh, uh, you know, certainly lots of times we got the, the balance of truth and grace out of balance, right? There, there were times we, we messed that up and we didn't get it right. I, I grew up in a house, though, that we, we laughed a lot, you know. And I know that my penchant for humor probably annoys some of you. I come by it honest, okay? I grew up with that, so... Get over it. Um, (laughs) Every family has values, right? Every family has things that are important to them that drive them to do what they do and to be who they are. Every family does. Some families value achievement over everything else. The whole family experience is focused on bigger and better, sometimes at the cost of relationship, right? Other families value relational closeness more than anything else. And so because of that, there are some things that we, we don't talk about because <laughs> it would cause stress at the dinner table, and we just, don't, we just don't talk about that, right? And still other families value, you know, like being in everything. They value just doing, like, shared experiences, right? And so they just, they about drive themselves nuts driving, you know, just we got to do all the things. we got kids in sports and kids in band and kids in, and And mom is doing this and dad is doing this. And they just go nuts on doing all the stuff. We all have values that drive what we do. The church family is no exception. The family that is the church of Jesus Christ has values. Both the church universal, capital C, the church, and, and the, the local church body here at Chapel Rock. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about our family values, the stuff that's important to us and drives us to do what we do here at church. So Thank you for being here. Grateful to those watching online. Take a second, fill out your connection card either here or online. Um, there's, there's some stuff going on. I want to encourage you to check your bulletin. Uh, I know some of you are super into The Chosen. Uh, and season two is out, and there's a group that's going to be meeting and watching that and discussing it together. There's information about that in your bulletin. If you're kind of new at Chapel Rock and like, man, I kind of would like to get connected, but I'm not sure how to plug in, where to do that, be part of a group, that would be a great next step for you uh, to be part of that. And then also next Sunday uh, is John's last day as our worship pastor. He's going to move on to a, 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 a God's you know, working on him, and so uh, he's going to be uh, stepping into a, a new role for him uh, starting after next week. So I want to encourage you to, to be here and, and just uh, encourage him, and, and then in the evening uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall, we're going to have a reception, so it's a chance for you to uh, come by and, and wish him well in, uh, in what he's going to be doing. We're starting a new series today called Family Values, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be doing everything we can to help you, as my mom might say, put legs on our vision. And, and make it really practical for you. We talk about the whole community, whole in Christ. And that, that really is just a slogan that expresses something much bigger. And in a few weeks, we'll, we'll drill into the, the whole big paragraph thing. Um, but we know that this is what God is calling us to do. It, it, so we came up with that kind of about the end of 2017. And I just kind of want to give you a little backstory. So um, some of you are familiar with um, these things called DVDs. Um, they existed before like Netflix and stuff. Uh, and so there's these extra features, right? Deleted scenes. So this is, this is on the bonus features here. I just kind of want to p- pull back the curtain. So in 20, end of 2017, we came up with this statement and w- in the process of generating that, we came up with three values that support this statement that, that drive us to do that. And, and one time at, I don't know, sometime, uh, late last year, maybe early this year, we were uh, talking about that in a staff meeting. And I mentioned these three things of, you know, experiencing the wholeness of Jesus and expressing uh, love and truth and embodying radical hospitality. And our staff were like, "And that's really good. Like, why don't you, you know, like... Talk about that. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, well, that's, that's actually a really good idea. I probably should, you know. And so I changed the preaching plan to incorporate this series, and that's where that comes from. The whole, the whole point of this is to help you experience all the blessings that finding true wholeness in Jesus brings. And we want to equip you to do that. And so part of that equipping process is the booklet that you were handed when you came in. So hopefully you guys all got a copy of this. It's, it's a devotional book that's designed to go along with this series. So there's one reading for each week. So don't just burn through this. Like you could read this on the drive home. I and mean, it's not terribly long, but savor it, right? This is like, this is something I, we want to encourage you, like read it today to kind of follow up on this. And then like come in this coming Saturday. Get ready for next Sunday, okay, and and do that. Great chance for you to maybe do this with your life group, your Sunday school class. Um, Grateful for Jason and Shauna and Zach and all their hard work to to pull this together. For those watching online, uh, there's a link in the chat where you can download the PDF of that, okay? Um, And so you can print that at home, and you can read it or just save it on your device or however you want to do it. Um, We've got printed copies here at the building if you want to swing in and get one which I would totally get because, I mean, you think gas is expensive. Compare that to printer ink. That's uh, bonkers right now. So um, anyway, we've got printed copies for you uh, to do that. I don't know if it's universally true or not. I'd like to think it is. But I'd like to believe that if you ask any Christian what the main purpose of being a Christian is, no matter where in the world you ask them, no matter what time in the last 2,000 years you ask them, what's the main point of being a Christian, they would say something along the lines of being like Jesus. Right? Like that, that's kind of the main point of the whole deal. And, and I don't know if they'd express it exactly like that, but that hopefully something like that would come out of their mouth. That's, that's kind of the whole point, right? Is he came down here to be like us so that we could be like him. The church has only ever had one mission. It doesn't matter what kind of label you put on it. The church has only had one mission, its entire existence. And Jesus told us what it was in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He tells his disciples, therefore go. After having said all authority belongs to him, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what's the mission? Make disciples. Who are disciples? They're people like Jesus. What was unique about Jesus? Well, he was the only whole person to ever walk the face of this earth. He's the only person who was ever unbroken by sin, unstained by it, uncorrupted. And if we're supposed to be like him, then that means we should be kind of progressing along that path, right? Becoming like, like Jesus. So becoming like Jesus means, at least in part, and I would argue a large part, becoming more whole. That's the big idea this morning. The most important thing for a Christian is becoming more like Jesus, and that means experiencing the wholeness that was normal for him. So our first value as as a church family is experiencing the wholeness of Jesus. See, what's normal for us is broken. The wisest guy who ever lived in Ecclesiastes 7.20 wrote, There is no one righteous. Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, quoted that, and then 13 verses later he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Normal for us is broken. But normal for Jesus was whole. He never sinned. Isaiah 53, 9 says that he didn't do anything wrong. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Normal for us is broken. Normal for Jesus was whole. By the power of his grace given to us on the cross, his shed blood for us, (laughs) he calls us into his experience. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? That God, by his grace, says, this is so good, I want you to have it. This is such a blessing. It's so powerful. I want you to experience. I love you so much. I want you to experience what I've got all the time. And so he calls you into his experience. Our need for wholeness is seen really clearly, I think, in a prayer that Paul prayed for the Thessalonian church. Right at the tail end of of 1 Thessalonians, he's he's just about to wrap it up, and, and Paul prays this for this church. He says, May God himself, The God of peace, shalom, wholeness, sanctify you to make you holy, make you righteous, through and through, every part of you. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, is there any part of you that's left out there? No. Be kept blameless, again, without sin, without fault, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, there's an article on wholeness written by Tremper Longman III. And in it he writes, Although God experiences various emotions, such as satisfaction and compassion and grief and jealousy and delight and anger and joy and peace, he is never unbalanced or controlled by irrational emotions as humans can be. The triune God is the embodiment of self-sufficient wholeness. His actions express perfect balance, the infinite beauty and symmetry of his person. The essence of God is to be whole. And he calls us into that experience. Now the word translated whole in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 appears only there in one other place. It appears in James 1.4. Where James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, Let perseverance, keeping on, carrying on with the faith, finish its work so that you may be mature and whole. Complete is how it's translated there. Not lacking anything. See, when Paul talks about your whole spirit, soul, and body, what he's, saying, he's, not, he's not trying to create some uh, anthropological statement about humans being tripartite beings. That you're made up of a spirit and a soul and a body. That's not his point. The grammar doesn't support that. The the adjective whole is singular, and it speaks to quality, indicating something that has integrity, something that's intact, something that's complete, something that's undamaged. The work of Jesus is to take something broken and make it whole. And and for us, what we value is that experience, that, that, that process that you go through as he works in you to accomplish that. I think fundamentally this is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he says, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants you to be whole. He has it. He wants you to have it. He loves you. It's his continual experience. He wants you to know that experience too. God's intent for the human race after our fall and his redemptive work when Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose again on the third day so that you could have everlasting life. His desire is that we experience the wholeness that only Jesus can give because only Jesus has. Only Jesus can give it because only Jesus has it. And the history of the world is uh, littered with attempts For human beings to try to achieve that on our own without him, everyone has ended in disaster. Everyone has just multiplied and compounded brokenness. The only place you can get wholeness is Jesus because he's the only one who has it. He's the only one who's whole. It's God's work to put right what went wrong in the garden initially at the beginning of earth's history. (laughs) And for us individually, personally, at some point in our youth, there, there comes a point when, when all of us choose to do something wrong and we know it's wrong without our parents telling us it's wrong, we just know. And there comes a point when, when you kind of fall in of, and of, of yourself. Like you know it's wrong and you choose to do it anyway and in that moment the curse of Eden lands full weight on you. And basically, in helping us experience the wholeness of Jesus... God is trying to put you back together again. He's trying to put some things together. And I think, what I want to talk about today, what does this experience look like for us? I think it's two things, two pairs of things that God is trying to put back together, all right? Here's the first pair. The first part of our value of of experiencing wholeness is that God wants to put you and your redemptive potential together. God wants to put you and your redemptive potential together. I realize that the term redemptive potential is not a term or phrase that you guys have used like in the last week or, you know, ever. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so let, let let me define it. Your redemptive potential is what you can and will become as the Holy Spirit regenerates you and it represents you at your Christian best, right? When you're using 100% of what God is doing in and through you to accomplish your part of his mission. This is what you could be if you were living a life 100% surrendered to Jesus Christ. When everything in you is completely moving at the impulse of his will, this is your redemptive potential. The Holy Spirit has 100% of you. It's you at your best right? Um, Experiencing the wholeness of Jesus is when the Lord, and it's, by the way, I want to be clear, it's him doing this, all right? It's him enabling this. This is not you. This is not your will at work. This is not your natural ability at work. This is a work of grace. God enables this to happen, all right? It's the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, and he moves you day by day a little closer to what you could be When you're totally surrendered to Jesus, just like Jesus was. Totally surrendered to the Lord, just like Jesus was completely surrendered to the will of the Father. Right? We have to recognize we're not there yet. This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Even the Apostle Paul recognized this in himself. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Even the Apostle Paul recognized that he wasn't there yet. That the Lord still had some work in his soul to do. Now you guys know, I didn't tell the last service this. You guys know that there's a thread, a doctrinal thread called Christian perfectionism. Have you ever heard this? I was telling my life group this. There's this idea that you reach a point in your discipleship where you no longer sin. That's a real belief that's out there. And there are people who hold that, that you, you reach a point. And I think it's I think certainly you can go weeks and weeks and weeks without an intentional sin. You might have an accidental one. You might have one that you didn't realize you even did. I think you can go a long time without sinning. I believe that. I think that's what Jesus, that's part of what he does in you. But there's this belief that you reach this state that you persist in for the rest of your life where you don't sin anymore. And I heard about a pastor who preached. He got up and he preached a real barn burner on sin, man. He just let him have it. He gave him both barrels and then reloaded and did it again. He let him have it. And this lady came up to him after, the, after church, after the service, and she said, Pastor, that was a powerful message. I, I'm grateful that a lot of people heard it and that the, all these folks here got to hear that message. He kind of looked at her funny. She says, well, I haven't sinned in 30 years. <laughs> and he was like, well, ma'am, that's wonderful. Three more years and you'll have the record. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop, right? So even Paul said, I'm not there yet. He, he recognizes this distance. See, there's been a move in the last few years to, to, to stop telling people that they have potential. When you were little, raise your hand. Did anyone ever hear that when you were a kid? Like you've got potential. Okay, all right. Not not many hands. There weren't many in the first service. Either. I don't know what happened to you guys when you were grown up, but um, there's been this move, and maybe it started a long time back. I, I don't know, but there's this the, the thought goes like this: If you tell someone they have potential, then you're recognizing that they're not as good now as that you think they could be, and in a world that basically worships self-esteem. That's not very nice to tell someone that, that, there's a, you, that you think they have room to grow. And so we just don't do that anymore. <laughs> I, listen, I, I understand the logic. I just disagree with it being a good thing. And it's not because I'm a jerk. I, 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 it's just in Christ, we have a different set of resources than the world does. Here's the thing. If all you have is you, if all you've got in this world is your own willpower, yeah, I can see how that would be an insult. But you have more in Christ. You don't just have you. You have him. And when last I checked, his resources are infinite. His power is all power belongs to him. All authority belongs to him. Listen, we have the Holy Spirit, church. We have a resource that the world doesn't have to help us in this. Peter talks about this. Now You know how often Peter failed, right? Like half of the New Testament is Peter, open mouth, insert foot. But look at what Peter writes. He says, his divine power, Jesus, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I want you to hear me, church. There is no secret sauce. There's no magic bullet. When you gave your life to Jesus, when you confessed him as Lord and repented of your sin and were baptized and received the Holy Spirit and began to walk of discipleship, you got the full meal deal on day one you got all the resources you will ever need to live a godly life because of Jesus' power at work in you. Are you there yet? No. But part of the work of experiencing wholeness is God, seeing your potential, speaking that into you by the Holy Spirit and saying, I th- I'd like to see you grow this way. I'd like to see you move to be more like Jesus this way. The reason we can talk about our redemptive potential is because of the truth of this verse that you already have all the resources you need to get you there. You, you don't have to lie. Please don't at church. Please don't lie and pretend like everything is fine. This is, it's actually not helpful for you to reach your redemptive potential. It's like an old story I heard. Uh, one day an old man was take, just out for a walk Uh, moving from one field on his property to another, walking down an old country road, gravel road. He had his mule and his dog with him. And if you've ever driven on those country gravel roads, you know sometimes because of land division and stuff, it'll take a sharp right, 90-degree turn, right? And this guy comes flying around the turn in his big old Ford F-250 truck, wheels sideways, slide, he's out having some fun, and he hits the man and his mule and his dog knocks him into the ditch, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a bad scene. There's a lot of damage. And so the man takes the guy to court, sues him for the damages. And they're in court, and the, the, the old man's on the stand, and the defense attorney gets up there, and he says, um, now, I have, sir, I have a, a, just a yes or no question for you. On the day of the accident, did you or did you not say that you were, quote, perfectly fine? And the old man says, well okay, me and my mule and my dog were walking down this road. Stop, no, 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 stop. It's a yes or no question. On the day of the accident, did you or did you not say that you were perfectly fine? And he goes, on the day of the accident, me and my mule and my dog were walking down this road. And the defense attorney's like, your honor, he's not answering the question. I just asked a simple direct question and he, keeps, he goes into this story. And the judge was patient and he said, you know, he's an old man. He's, you know, Just give him a minute, let him respond the way he wants. Go ahead, sir. And so he says, Well, Your Honor, me and my mule and my dog were walking down the road. And this guy points at him, comes flying around the corner, and hits all three of us, knocks us in the ditch. You know, he gets out of the truck, and he looks at us, and he goes back to the truck and brings back a rifle. And my dog is fatally injured, he shoots the dog he looks at my horse, and my horse has two broken legs, or the mule. He shoots the mule, and he looks at me, he says, how are you? And I said, I am perfectly fine. <laughs> you know, we come into church, and sometimes we say, I am perfectly fine. And we're laying in a ditch, really. And God knows, you're not, you're not fooling him. And sometimes we're honest enough to admit it. The reality is because of our sin, we're not perfectly fine. We're broken. Because of Jesus, though, we're being redeemed. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, we have incredible potential. And Jesus is constantly at work in us to help us become by grace what he says by faith we already are. To grow in holiness and wholeness to help us reach that redemptive potential. To do what God is recreating us to do, to become what God is recreating us to become. That's part of experiencing wholeness. God puts those things together. The second pair of things that God puts together is the cart and the horse. I know you've heard the expression to put, you know, we've got to put the, don't put the cart in front of the horse. Generally speaking, it means to do things out of order. It's been around a long time. Uh, The earliest recorded use of the proverb is in the early 16th century. Uh, It's been a common figure of speech in the English language since the Renaissance. Even long, (laughs) long since the time has passed that we stopped pulling carts with horses, generally speaking, we still use that phrase. And this is something that the church historically has struggled with, but maybe not in the way you might think. Yes, we get things out of order sometimes. But it seems to me that more often what we do is we separate the cart and the horse. We don't have them together. It's one thing to get them out of order. It's a whole different ballgame entirely to to not even have them hooked up. Now, I'm using this as a metaphor. Let me define my metaphor. The horse is the great commission. Right? The horse is the great commission. It's the engine that pulls everything. Go make disciples. That life-on-life missional discipleship is the engine that moves the church forward. The church is the horse in the analogy. Okay? The cart is the great commandment. We read that together earlier, right? The, the, the teacher of the law comes to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? He says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. That's the cart. When we do that, church, you could just you stack blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing in that cart and it just brings them along <laughs> this is an appeal to the whole person here so if the horse is the great commission the engine that drives it and the cart is the great commitment they got to go together right like we should, those two things should always go together. They belong together. But in the long history of the church, we have far too often separated those things. And you can see it illustrated in churches all over this country every week. Some churches really emphasize you personally getting right with God, getting saved. They are all about that altar call, right? To the exclusion of maybe doing good in the community. And sometimes it's driven by their eschatology, their understanding of end time stuff, right? Because they're just like, Jesus could come back any minute, it's all going to burn, who cares, you better get right with the Lord because he's coming tomorrow, you know? Okay. But then on the other hand, you've got these churches that are all about justice issues, right? They're, they're very focused on those things. They're about social action and serving the least of these, and, and if people happen to hear the gospel along the way, then cool, but that's not the, it's a second order issue. The simple fact is, separating those things is both unbiblical and ineffective at creating shalom in the community. To, to separate them out, it, it actually does damage to the mission and purpose of the church. When we value experiencing the wholeness of Jesus, it, it will, by definition and default, put the horse and the cart together and in the right order. See, the engine that moves the church forward is life-on-life missional discipleship. It has to be. It has to come first in priority. But right behind it and with it continually should be Christians loving and serving in their community. They go together, the cart and the horse. Here's what I'm saying. Experiencing the wholeness of Jesus is both. It is both being right with God and intentionally increasing the amount of shalom in your community. It's both. It always has been. Luke describes this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4 verse 32, he writes, "All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had." Man, what a beautiful picture of true Shalom. but here's the thing: What does Luke call them? Believers. These are people who've committed to following Jesus. You don't get this beautiful picture. Without faith in Jesus, it's it's essential. It's it's an underlying truth that has to be there, and when you have that, you experience real shalom. That's only found in Jesus. You can't get this without Jesus. When you try, when you try to pull Jesus out of it and just create this with human will, it's called communism, and it's failed everywhere it's been tried. Because without Jesus, it doesn't work. Why? Because we're broken. Can you drag a cart without a horse? Yeah, but the people doing it don't enjoy it very much. <laughs> way harder. Can you ride a horse without a cart? Well, yeah, but you can't haul as many good stuff with you. It takes both. Experiencing wholeness puts them together and in the right order. When Jesus told us to pray, and I'm going to say more about this this fall in a series on prayer. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said we should pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's both. That's experiencing wholeness, right? That we want God's rule, his kingdom, God's rule, his reign over us to be here just like it is there. (laughs) Starts there, comes here. That's what we're, we're talking about today. I want to show you what is often called the shortest complete story in English. Supposedly it was written by Ernest Hemingway. It's just six words long. Here it is. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. Church, we live in a world where people experience pain this intense every single day. And the only answer to it is the gospel of Jesus Christ and people who have been so transformed by that gospel that they are able to bring a cartload of healing and wholeness with them everywhere they go. You know the rhyme. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men Couldn't put Humpty together again. Humpty Dumpty, typically portrayed as an anthropomorphic egg, is one of the oldest characters in English literature. The rhyme was probably initially a riddle uh, about an egg propped up on top of a wall. We don't know for sure um, that the meaning has long since the original meaning has long been lost. What we do know is that it paints a picture of somebody who, due to either pride or carelessness, experiences a fall and becomes irreparably damaged. Does that sound familiar? Maybe that's why it resonates with us. That's why we still teach it to our children. We know deep down that apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, every single one of us is Humpty Dumpty. But we've been given grace... We've been made whole. So maybe, just maybe, it's time to update the rhyme. What if it went like this? Humpty Dumpty laid in the street. A caution and byword to all he did meet. Broken and shattered to pieces was he. No hope for healing could he see. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But one day the king himself came and saw Humpty lying there lame. With great love and tender care, he put Humpty together right there. And from that day on, Humpty was sure only the king could enable his cure. Maybe you're like Humpty today. And you came in here a little broken. Good news. The king has come. And he can make you whole. And so in just a second, if you've never made that commitment to acknowledge Jesus as Savior and Lord, to be baptized, to repent of your sins, to receive the Spirit, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. As we sing, I would invite you to come forward. And and we stand ready. Everything's prepped. We're ready to go for you to make that decision today. Maybe you've got some Humpty Dumpties in your life. Some people that are are just broken. (laughs) And you just want to lift them to the Lord in prayer. We'd love to partner with you. And if you want to come forward, we'd love to pray with you and pray for those folks that they could experience what we have the privilege of experiencing, the wholeness of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing together, and you respond as God leads you.